You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Good morning and welcome this morning. We have such a fun church family. Uh, My name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Uh, We have a great church fun family. Just last night... um, one of our elders, uh, uh, Jeff Herbidian, uh, uh, his son uh, Joseph got married last night. Uh, they're Armenian. And my goodness, was it a celebration. There was so much food and it just kept coming. And then there was a dancing and oh, it was an incredible time. But not just that. It was so fun to celebrate with that. And Joe's excited, you know, married and fun time like that. We had some babies born this past week, so I want to introduce them to you. The first baby here is little Everett James Cleese. We're excited for him, for uh, just the, 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 the Janelle and Eric Cleese. They are uh, over at the Branch Church. Janelle and Eric grew up, they met here, right? And uh, well, you see, things happen when you're here. And uh, they met here, got married, and uh, popped out little Everett James. Uh, and grandparents, uh, uh, Mark and, and Valerie Anchetta, Mark's one of our elders here, and, and great-grandma's here, Sally's here, so we're excited for that, great-grandma and all the things. That, aren't kids wonderful? Just a great blessing of that, but we not not just one. We had another baby born this past week, uh, little Ebenezer Samuel Lunka, born on the 20th, seven pounds, uh, three ounces, 11 inches long. Uh, Sam Lunka, he's a... Uh, um, him and Mercy have been attending quite a while. They're Asian Indian and, and been attending. Uh, uh, Sam is going to be joining our uh, staff team as an intern and going to be studying. He's already going to seminary and we're excited about having him, but they had a baby just this last weekend and uh, little Ebenezer is so cute. I've actually got a chance to see both of them in the hospital and they're doing great. Mercy's doing fantastic. Sam's a wreck. But... Uh, <laughs> Second child, because little sister Eliana is so, so excited about her new baby, Dolly. So uh, <laughs> that's alive. We have a lot of fun things that are happening at our church. Great things are going on. We just finished a series that Anna talked about, about that survey. We really could use your help in understanding that, so please fill it up. But now we're starting a new teaching series called Sola, not Solar. We're doing with something that at the end of the service, but Sola. Sola is Latin for only. And, and so we're going to be talking about that. You see it on your worship folder, and you'll be seeing more about that as we walk along this morning, because it has to do with an amazing part of church history. And we're actually celebrating the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. And we'll explain more about that, what that means as we go along today. But this is an opportunity for us to be able to look at some of these key truths that we are have aligned with, and we as Protestant churches, uh, evangelical churches are aligned to. And, and it just so happens that God has in his, uh, sometimes I think humor, has gifted me with an interesting condition that relates to this teaching of the series. Um, I have a, I have a problem. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you know I have many problems. <laughs> but I have a, a learning disability where I constantly transpose and transform words and numbers, and I am always reforming them back to what they should be. Some of you have noticed that. Y'all be reading scripture and I'll read, wait, Mike just read those words backwards. 
and things like that. So it's, it, you know, reverse them. And, and it's, and I transpose numbers all the time. So it really makes, you know, like when I'm balancing the checkbook, <laughs> makes it really interesting. You know, uh, uh, but, but it, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, people, God has given me some really gracious people like you all who helped me walk through this and you put up with my weirdness in that way. But, uh, uh, so I appreciate the graciousness in that. But the truth is, is that we reform all the time. Uh, someone not following instructions and the mistake is obvious and now they need to reform according to the instructions that it was designed to be. It's like these two, um, Step stools from Ikea that are up front here. One was formed, followed, they, they came the same way in the box. Uh, one was formed by the instructions. The other was freelance. <laughs> Just kind of throwing parts together. This one actually works. This one, not so much. But the truth is, this one can actually be reformed to how it was originally designed. And the reality is of reforming is not only the need to, to take place when, when instructions are not followed, but over time, many other areas of life need to be retuned and recalibrated because we live in an environment today that constantly moves us from order to chaos. It's called that pesky second law of thermodynamics, entropy, where things move from order to chaos. You take a piece of metal, you throw it out in the environment, and it doesn't actually produce a car. It actually rusts and decomposes. And we things move from order to chaos all the time. Things need to be tuned. Our cars need to be tuned. Our air conditioner units need to be tuned up. Our house needs to be repainted. But it also happens with people. I mean, look at our health. <laughs> you don't just automatically get healthier all along. The natural reality of life is that the stomach in the middle just keeps growing. But we need to actually do something different to, to, to be able to reform our bodies the way that they should be. But it happens with commitments as well. Contracts need to be renewed or reformed. Uh, uh, relationships need to be tuned up and time spent with each other to celebrate our that and, and to get us back to that. It even happens in churches. Uh, actually, it's a sad reality in, in our world today, especially in the U.S., that more churches are closing than are being built up. And the reason is, is because churches can easily lose their purpose and the natural reality of sin and, 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 and our sin nature is that we move from order to chaos and it happens in a church as well and they dissolve. But it can happen in our faith too. We can grow cold to God. We can even grow distant and, and lose that sense of purpose in our life. Well, it happened with the development of the church over time. And we just got through with a series called One, dealing with the Bible book of Acts where we looked at the beginning of the church, this gathering of, of Christ's believers to be called out, uh, ecclesia, the church to be called out into uh, being his, using his purposes in the world. And, and we saw the, the formation of that and, and how God throughout history has sent catalysts to reform and realign our faith. Uh, great people like St. Augustine who gave us words to understand God and, and his being and our depravity, our sinfulness, among many other things. God has given us models of, of piety, of, of living 
life God's way, Christ's way, with people like St. Francis of Assisi and, and, and the courage of, of a Thomas Beckett who, who stood against kings and, and for God's honor. And God gave us models of missionaries like St. Patrick who went uh, to Ireland. And, and to, 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 that's a huge, incredible story. And, but God also gave us artists, people like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci to help us see faith, to make it more visual. But the reality of our dark and sin-saturated world is that if we're not careful in keeping the light shining, darkness, the darkness of superstition and the the paganism of self-focus can creep in. And so can complacency and, and and a comfortableness where we don't see the need to constantly realign to the basic truths of following Jesus. Well, though God had formed this church in the book of Acts and began to grow and gave us all those catalysts, <clears throat> what happened is the church began to move askew and go from order to a bit of chaos up until about the year 1517. As a pharisaical type power hungry elitism was forming in church leadership, new theologies found nowhere in Scripture were brought in. Bizarre church practices of idol worship of dead saints and many giving requirements were put in, like paying indulgences to shorten one's stay into something called that they invented called purgatory, and it was commanded. The church, Christ church, was in desperate need of reformation, getting back to the issues taught in the Bible, those basic biblical issues. Well, about 500 years ago, God raised up an obscure monk who started a a theological discussion that launched a Reformation movement for the church, getting them back, getting us back to the key biblical foundations that God had intended. This interesting monk was Martin Luther. And God used him to point out inconsistencies seen in church practice and beliefs with what Martin had been studying furiously and learning from his Bible. And so on October 31st, 1517, he nailed his 95 issues called theses uh, to the door of a church for public view. There wasn't Facebook and public post then. It was actually a literal door of a church that he nailed things to, a document to. And that act started a movement that birthed most every Protestant church today. Check out this video. I'm on the trail of Martin Luther, the great 16th century German law student turned monk, theologian, professor, and church reformer who became the father of Protestantism. His ideas not only influenced the Protestant Reformation, but they helped change the course of Western civilization. Martin Luther was born right here in Eiselben, Germany, November 10, 1483. In fact, he was baptized right here in the Church of St. Peter and Paul. Now, young Martin Luther was an educated young man, and when he was off at grammar school, a brash Christopher Columbus was off discovering a new world. And while apparently the two never met, their discoveries would make them world changers and put them on a collision course that would change the course of history and rock the planet. 
Martin Luther's father, Hans, was a respectable entrepreneur in the copper mining business. It was a family on its way up from its former peasant status. Now, there's a conversation stopper and a dinner party. So what do you do? Oh, well, we're, we're peasants. <laughs> this is the house that Martin Luther was born in here in Eiselben, Germany, still today preserved as a museum, just down the street from the church he was baptized in. Now, it might surprise you to learn that Martin's father, Hans, was not exactly in favor of Martin's decision to become a man of the cloth. Apparently, Martin's father had always hoped that Martin would be a lawyer. It is said that Martin Luther's decision to change his career from lawyer to priest happened during a severe lightning storm, where the panicked Martin Luther cried out, St. Anne, save me, and I'll become a monk. Well, he was saved, and he kept his vow. Yeah, apparently I'm supposed to insert a joke here about uh, lightning and lawyers. So in the year 1505, Luther left law school, sold his books, and entered a monastery in the German town of Erfurt, dedicating himself to monastic life, fasting, long hours in prayer, pilgrimage, and frequent confession. Meanwhile, in the eyes of Luther, certain practices of the Roman Catholic Church had grown corrupt, namely the practice of selling indulgences, a practice based on church teaching that when someone donated money to the church, they would reduce the amount of time they or a deceased loved one would spend in purgatory. And since purgatory, according to the church, was the place of painful purification Christians endure before entering heaven, there were plenty of people interested in buying their way out of it. In the year 1517, while living in Wittenberg, Luther decided to make a formal protest of the sale of indulgences. His famous objection came in the form of a document later known as the 95 Theses. Such an unassuming place. 500 years or so later, give or take a few, people just seem to stroll by and nobody thinks much about what really happened here. The Protestant Reformation, or the Second Great Schism of the Christian Church, depending on your point of view, was started right here. <laughs> Martin Luther studied Scripture. He studied the key principles uh, uh, of Scripture, and they came to the surface that moved him to take the action he did. And we, as Protestants, as evangelical church, hold to those key biblical foundations because this brave monk brought people back, helped reform people back to the truths of Scripture. These issues can be boiled down to, to five key truths of Scripture that make Protestants distinct. They are that we are saved by grace alone. Sola grata, that's the, it's Latin. We are saved by faith alone. Sola fide. That we are in Christ alone. Sola Christus. And that our faith is according to scriptures alone, sola scriptura, and that we are to live for the glory of God alone, sola de la gloria. These are foundation beliefs that we constantly need to take to and, and have them reform us, bringing us back to how we were originally designed as followers of Christ. And so over these next Five weeks, we are going to be exploring these biblical truths and letting God's Holy Spirit continue to reform us. And the first is sola gratia. We are saved by grace alone. We're going to be looking at the truth that grace alone saves us, 
Grace alone grows us and grace alone connects us to God, not our own efforts. And to enjoy them, we need to repent and believe because grace alone, this is a phrase I want you to dig into your mind, grace alone provides salvation from sin and power to live. So power to live. So open your Bibles to the Bible book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, our wonderful ushers are grabbing stacks of Bibles or walking down the aisle. If you'd like to borrow a Bible for this morning and a loner, just wave at them. They'll be happy to give you that, and you can just leave it in your chair when you're done and encourage you in that regard. Also, encourage you to take out of your worship folder that Anna talked about. Inside there, there's also uh, this outline that's there. There's some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen, so I encourage you uh, to uh, write down some notes. You always learn more, but there's also a, a study guide that's in the lobby area that you can take, and on there, there's some great things that you can walk through for personal Bible study, but also many of our life groups or smaller groups use those. On the back, there are the answers to the fill in the blanks, plus all the extra verses that we give this morning. If you can't remember them or they don't get them in time, we'll go through that because we are going to launch through this. There's a lot to study. This is the main teaching of Scripture, so we're going to be walking through this together and, and being able to do that. So before we jump into this, wouldn't you mind setting your books aside, your Bibles aside, why don't you stand and let's pray and ask God to, to challenge us. Father, I am so thankful that you brought these here to hear your word this morning. And Lord, we need to hear this. It's so easy for us and we get so slyly moved away from your truths and begin to even start to believe in some of the crazy things that are out there, Lord, and yet we need to come back to the truth that your word teaches and let your spirit reform us. So, Lord, may there be a reformation in our heart even today over this area of grace. And so, Lord, help us in that. Use this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat and encourage you again to take some notes as we walk along here. Three realities from sola gratias, grace alone. And so let's look at uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And you may have a different version in your Bible. This is the English Standard Version, ESV. Let's read it out loud together, if you wouldn't mind. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The first reality of these three realities of sola gratia is that grace alone saves us. For grace alone provides salvation from sin and power to live. Because the Bible's clear that we humans have an inborn problem. It's part of our DNA. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. There's many verses that talk about that, but Romans 5.12 puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Anybody know who that one man is? It's Adam, right? Adam. So let's, let's read what happened uh, back in the very beginning. So take your Bible now and turn to the very first book of the Bible. Genesis. Genesis chapter one. As my Bible warms up. Come on. You can do it. Genesis chapter one, verse, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent, talking about, that's talking about Satan, uh, the enemy, the devil. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God has made. One of the first truths I want you to remember about the, our enemy is that he's made. He is a made creature. He's not God. 
There's only one God, that's the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, as he's called in Scripture. And that's when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. God is the only one. There is no other. And he created the enemy. Sometimes the enemy wants you to think he's God. And he's more powerful than God. He's not. Don't ever ever believe that Satan is more powerful from God. He is the created one. The creator is always over the creation. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. Good truth to remember that as we go through this. is that Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden, one of the things and how, how the enemy works is he always twists the word of God. God didn't say that, and actually the woman points it out, verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God has said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. Here's another way that the enemy twists or now doubts the truth of God. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See, he's causing the the woman to doubt God. And then here's the third way the enemy works in verse 5. For God knows, the enemy's talking here, that when your eyes, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the enemy challenges the motives of God. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she gave the same to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And when the eyes of both were opened, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And from that point on, sin had spread to all humanity. Sin corrupted their soul and all of humanity after them and even our world. That includes us. We now want to be our own supreme being where we act on our own as our own God and model ourselves truly after now the deceiver where we twist the words of God to fit our self-focused desires, where we doubt the truths of God because we want to be that gatekeeper of the truth. We want to be in that position of authority. And we challenge the motives of God because we want the power to be our own boss and really the boss of others. And sin's corrosive reality continues to spread. And the truth of Romans 3.23 is there. For all have sinned, all of humanity, every single one of us, to a gruesome end. And this is where you can write down Romans 6.23. For the wage of sin is death. Death and not not being able to reach our full potential and who God created us to be. Death in a relationship with God because now there is a huge gap between us and God because of sin. And death, eternal death, eternally separated from God for all eternity. A gruesome reality of what sin does, yet God made a way. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through His Lord Jesus Christ. 
Romans 6.23 says, he made a way to offer humanity a free gift. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. For if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, Adam, which more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness that reigns in life through one man, Jesus Christ. It's not something we can earn or we deserve. It's a gift. And the gift is salvation from that gruesome reality of sin. The wage of sin is death, separation, all of that. And there's nothing humanly we can do to fix the problem. So God provided for us a Savior, Jesus, who went on the Christ cross, getting ready to die, all of humanity's sin was dumped on him, and he paid that debt in full. Completely taken. And not only that, his resurrection three days later verified that he did what he said by paying for our sin debt giving us now, bringing us into honor because we were disgraced in dishonor, now bringing us honor into the Father because He, the sinless one, now has paid the ultimate price. But it is truly a gift. Anybody like Starbucks? Anybody like Starbucks? Okay. You like Starbucks? I have a gift for you. A Starbucks card. It's $10. Yeah, it's there. Did you earn this? No. Do you deserve it? Probably not. Does he? He doesn't deserve it, does he? You probably deserve it more than he does, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but here it is. What does he need to do to take it? He needs to take it. He needs to actually take it. But it's not just taking it. Is a gift really a gift? What does he need to do next? He needs to go redeem it. He needs to use it. So what about our salvation? God offers us a gift. What do we need to do? Receive it and use it. We receive it through faith. Now, we're going to talk about faith next week. So hold on to that. But faith is a belief that, yes, we're sinful and we need a Savior and Jesus is it. That's the belief. We understand that and we accept it. We say, yes, I get it. I take it on myself and I believe it to be true. And then to use it to actually live life in light of the fact that we've been saved. In other words, we don't have to try to do penance all the time when we mess up because it's been taken care of. The cross is enough. It's enough for all of your sin, past, present, and future. It works. Isn't that a great thing? It reminds me of a, of a story um, when I was in junior high. Um, uh, we lived in in, uh, in San Diego area. We lived in a, an apartment complex, a fourplex that was there. And uh, me, my brother, and my mom, folks had gotten divorced, and we had moved down from Alaska to San Diego to live near my grandfather. Then finally got on our own, and and so we're living in this little apartment. And my mom goes, "I smell something." Now my mom was always saying that, and I just realized first service I say that all the time. <laughs> I. She goes, I smell something. I smell smoke. And we're going, Mom, you are always smelling something. She goes, no, I really mean it this time, which she says every time. I smell smoke. She goes up to the vent over the stove. There's something burning. So my brother and I run out of the house, and we're going to go inspect the apartment. I go around the front. My brother goes up on the roof. I'm not sure why, but he went up on the roof. 
And we both discovered at the same time, as he came around the first apartment, which sat out front, there was smoke billowing out of one of the vents there. And I came and I saw smoke billowing out of the front door. My mom called 911. My brother and I, uh, I began to beat on the door because I think, and I can't remember her first name, but I think it was Sally. And she had a, a respiratory problem. She was only surviving on one lung young adult woman that was there. and <clears throat> So I was beating on the door, wake up, wake up, because she da- often took naps in the afternoon. Wake up, wake up, and I'm beating on the door, beating on the door. She finally opens the door and she goes, oh, it's so smoky outside, I need to go back in. I need to go back in. I'm going, no, your house is on fire. She goes, no, it's smoky out here, it's smoky out here. I grabbed her by the arm and began to pull her outside and she was fighting me. She wanted to go back inside the apartment where she felt like it was safe. Now, my brave brother grabs a garden hose and he runs inside and, and he's putting out the fire. Uh, the fire truck pulls up and, and, and things are taking place. But she thought she knew the way to escape her danger. It reminded me of a Bible verse, Proverbs fourteen twelve. It says, there, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The truth is that she needed to trust in me just as we need to trust in Jesus. First, she didn't get that she was in danger. She thought the danger was out there. She didn't realize the danger was inside. See, we do the same thing in our our own lives. We think the danger's out there. The truth is the danger's in here. The Bible talks about how our heart is desperately wicked. We're sinful people. Those beautiful little kids that were up that we just announced, They're just a pile of sin. Just wait. Sam, just wait. (laughs) Your little boy's going to say no to you. (laughs) Uh, it, It just happens. And, 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 and the truth is, is that we, that sin is inside and, and then God has provided a way by His grace to deal with that. We need to understand our own depravity, our own sin nature. And just like her idea for saving herself was not going to work, neither does ours. There is no way, absolutely no way we can save ourselves from our sin issue. No matter how many Bible verses we memorize, no matter how many times we go to church or how often we give money, Actually, Isaiah 64, verse 6, calls our efforts filthy rags. So quit trying. They don't help save us in any way. What we need to do is we need to repent. The Bible where repent means to turn around. She was pulling herself back into the apartment, and I was trying to pull her back out to help her repent and move away from danger instead of going back in where she surely would have died. We need to repent of this works attitude, this notion that somehow we can make ourselves more righteous. We can't. Our actions don't add to our righteousness at all. They don't make us more saved or, or more loved by God or, or, or uh, better in the eyes of God. Sure, they're good... Uh, uh, habits to get into, but they don't change our sinful condition. We need to repent from the works attitude and trust in Jesus. And just like I would not let her go, Jesus never lets go. 
And once you've trusted in him, to, he will lead us. And he's not going to lead us astray. See, God's grace alone provides salvation for our sin and power to live. And, and you've got to believe that. And the truth is, I know in a crowd this size, there are some of you who you really don't. You're trusting in your own righteousness to make you feel right with God. And so you figure you're, you may even be here this morning because you think if I just go to church, then my life will be right with God. There's no way you can do that. It doesn't work that way. It's only through Christ and his redemptive work that moves us from chaos to order. And we have to place our trust in that. So bow your head with me. I'm going to lead in a word of prayer. And maybe some of you who've been living with a works attitude in your heart, maybe this is a time when you can truly receive the gift of God. Some of you others have been exploring it. Maybe this is the first time you can receive the gift of God. So I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if this is your heart's desire, then pray along with me in the quietness of your own mind. It just goes like this. Dear Jesus, I get that I am a sinful person. And right now here this day, I recognize that and that I need a Savior. And I believe with all I understand what belief is, I believe in you alone for my salvation. I accept you, this free gift. Now help me to live as you design me to live. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, boy, please let me know. Write it on that connection card. Say, Mike, because I want to send you some materials. I also want to encourage you in faith. Come up to me after the service and, and we'll rejoice together. But, 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 but don't let this go by without you knowing for sure where you stand. Now is the time. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's read it again out loud together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As well, grace alone grows us. <clears throat> See, when we grab a hold of Jesus, this gift of grace, it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us new. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. We are born again. Again, nothing from our own efforts. Did, did you contribute to your own physical birth? Did you pull yourself out of your mother's womb? No! You had a lot of people helping you, you know, get, breathe into life. It just happened by God's grace. And he continues to take us on a journey, conforming us to the image of Jesus to be just like Jesus. First Corinthians 1.30 puts it this way. And because of him, that's God, you are in Christ. You have come into relationship with Christ. And Christ, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness now, we've taken on his righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. That word sanctification means to make holy and right before God. It's also a process of, of us growing into that new creation. 
for it is God who grows us. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's God who gives the growth. This process is it's a lot like sailing. Uh, the wind could be blowing along, <clears throat> but until you hoist up the sails to capture the wind, you won't be propelled. You won't be moved along. See, if you don't pull up the sails, you go nowhere. It's the wind that carries us. Just the same, it's the Holy Spirit who just happens to be called a wind. A wind that is one who teaches us and guides us for God's grace alone provides salvation from sin and power to live. So how do we pull up the sails? And how we do that is to obey God's word, to abide in him. John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. To abide is a life of dependent obedience where we follow Jesus. It's not on our own efforts that grows us. What moves us along this journey of spiritual maturity is when we trust in Christ alone. It's that God's grace grows us. Our growth is not a list of actions. But the unmerited favor of God is he, we hoist up the sails and he brings us along and he teaches us and he creates in us amazing character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's taken from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That happens as we engage the sails. As we, 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 through obedience, flow up those sails, the Holy Spirit fills them and moves us on as we abide in Him. So I obey. <clears throat> I study God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, to handle accurately the Word of truth. In other words, to delve into the Bible and understand it and study it and have it revealed to us God. Uh, not only that, I obey by not forsaking the assembly, by not forsaking the, the, the time together with other believers. And uh, Hebrews 10, 25 talks of that, but as well, uh, also all the one another's in scripture deal with that. And not only that, I, to, to pull up the sails, I need to be serving the Lord as, as Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, to do all for the glory of God. Not only that, to be generous, as as, as Luke 6.38 talks about, choosing a, a lifestyle of giving, not taking. As 2 Peter 3.18 says, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all the other imperatives, all the other commands in Scripture, they help us obey, they help us hoist up the sails. And once those sails are hoisted, it moves us along in our Christian maturity. God, through his grace, grows us. He also takes us along on this sailing vessel through some storms and trials in life. Right down somewhere, uh, James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, the storms of faith, produces endurance. Because what do we do when we hit storms in life? We cry out to God. That's where we should be, that place of dependence on him, abiding in him. See, God's grace alone provides for us salvation from sin and power to live. Let's read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 out loud again together. For by you have been through faith, and this is not of your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. God, God's grace alone saves us, grows us, and also connects us. God's unmerited favor is a love that is relentless, that does not let go, that does not stop. He will not love us less or more by what we do. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that great? Ah, that we would grasp that. That there is nothing that we can do that causes God to love us less. He loves us the same always. And I know it's tough because when we feel distant, when we feel that distance from God, we feel he has left us. But the truth is he is right there. He's there when we're down and, and fighting depression, exhausted from stress and in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. And our world is overwhelming. He's there. He's there when we struggle with our addictions and our gossip and our self-righteousness and even our self-loathing. And even in the depths of our sin, He is there. And He looks at you and me in the eyes with both conviction and compassion and backed by the validation of the resurrection. And He says, I will never, 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 ever, ever leave you. Wow. Isn't that incredible? There is nothing you can do, not a single thing you can do to push God's love away. Wow. You are not alone. His grace is bonded to you. Not only that, bonded us together as one as we just finished talking about. But we are protected. I I love this illustration. It comes from uh, uh, Colossians 3, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, This is my business card. It has my name on it. This is me. Uh, this envelope is a, is a, says Cypress Church on it. it. has a Cypress Church letterhead. This is the church which represents Christ's body, right? Isn't the church Christ's body? When I come to faith, I am hidden in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and placed in God. This is God's word, the Bible. Man, you are protected. You are surrounded. You are secure. Isn't that great? Nothing can touch you. Yes, difficult things happen because we live in a sin-filled world where things move from order to chaos. By the way, sometime in this series, I want to tell you the story about this Bible. Pastor Kerry and I had a fun event around that Bible. We'll tell you about it later. Leave you a curiosity there. To enjoy the grace of connection. We need to repent from thinking we don't matter and the isolation that we so easily slide into and embrace and believe 
in the great love of God. Let those verses in Scripture sink deep, deep into your soul and believe them. I could have picked hundreds, but let me just go through three really quick. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or dread them. That's the them of anything out there that creates chaos in our life. The struggles, the issues. It's true. People hurt us. And we live in a world that's constantly in a squalor downward that messes us up. Do not fear or dread them. For it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. You have that promise from God. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you in gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. 1 John 4.10, this in this is love. Not that we have loved God but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. That's the the atoning sacrifice hung on a cross. All the sin of the world dumped on him. That propitiation for our sin. It is by grace we are saved. Let's read it again. For by grace, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one should boast. See, this is foundational. A key we need to calibrate to the truth that God's grace alone provides salvation from sin and power to live. Nothing we do. No efforts of our own. It's God's amazing grace that saves us, that grows us, that connects us Let's repent. Instead of walking into the house that's burning, let's repent. Grab a hold of the arm of Jesus in love and belief and let him lead us. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your very clear word. Lord, forgive us for not reforming enough where we have brought even our own beliefs about faith and eschewed them to mean something that you didn't mean. But Lord, help us to, to have as this foundational truth, this, this sola gratia, Lord, that we are saved by grace alone. And now let us live by that, we pray in Jesus' name.